Like it said in the in the deal, it's our new tradition that we are establishing um, not to be a part of something trendy because it's really not very trendy, um, but because we believe in what it's about. Um, if you were here last week, uh, you kind of got the rundown on things, um, and I'm not going to rehash all that. Uh, you can go to the Advent Conspiracy website and um, become very, very informed about things. Um, but Advent Conspiracy is built around four ideas. Um, worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. And um, we have these uh, little magnet things that we gave out last week. And if you weren't here last week or if you lost yours, we have a bunch more at the table on the way to wait until that night. But um, a part of what we're trying to do is, um, is you take your Christmas budget, uh, what you would spend on gifts, and you somehow um, make that smaller. Uh, last year, some people didn't buy any presents, and they only gave to the offering. Some split it in half, and some, you know, whatever. Whatever you need to do, uh, you do that. But we're going to ask you to sit down and look at the money you're planning on spending and, um, and really prayerfully make some decisions about it. Um, and so uh, some of that money, we're going to take this offering, and it goes to Living Water International. And that's, what, that's why they exist. They find communities around the globe that don't have clean drinking water. They ask people who have money to give money to this organization so that they can go and take care of these communities. And through that, um, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, is communicated and taught and spread uh, through very practical means. Um, the video we showed last week, um, there is a statistic that's very scary. Uh, it would only take $10 billion to solve uh, the, the problem of... Uh, clean water around the whole, the whole planet. For just $10 billion, we could solve that issue. Um, and Christmas brings, uh, brings in $400 billion a year. So for literally a fraction of that, uh, we could take care of something that is very consistent with Jesus, but um, yet there's still kids who are dying because of muddy water. So last year, we took up this offering. We're doing the same thing this time. Um, in Mark 12, we see something... Uh, we're, if we bring the lights up just a little bit so they can see. Look at Mark chapter 12. Look at the end of it, um, verse 41. This is Jesus. It says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of, out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. He says that she gave more than everybody else. And this reveals a, like, in a, just a fundamental uh, issue that we need transformation in. Um, when Jesus is sitting there, he's looking at people, putting, putting the money in. He's not looking at the things that we look at. He's looking at the heart behind the giver. And it impacts him so much, he calls his disciples over, and he says, this is a very learnable moment for us, that we can learn something. 
And just very simply, he says, she gave more than everybody else. Now, as, as humans, especially as Americans, we're like, no, she didn't. I mean, that's like a penny. But once again, we see how God looks at the heart, man looks at the outside. So when it comes to Christmas for us, we need God to change the way we look at giving and at receiving. Um, because if our entire, if everything we're about is becoming more like Christ, then this is a part of it. It's not just, it's not just all the things that we always think of as well. It's even coming down to giving and receiving being a heart issue and not just a logistical part of the season or the occasion. And so what I want us to talk about tonight is what, what does biblical gift-giving really look like? I'm not talking about tithing. Like I'm talking about in the context of Christmas presents, what, is, what does a biblical Christmas present look like? Seems kind of weird. We're going to go for it anyway. Um, turn, to, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Most people would attribute gift-giving to, um, at Christmas time especially, to the, uh, the wise men, the magi, the, those guys, um, bringing gifts to the baby Jesus. They would say that's where that tradition has come from. And um, so let's, let's look at it uh, just for a second. Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. All right? So, they're from the east. They're probably from Persia, okay, from um, Iraq, Iran, somewhere in that region. Um, and I've always just, just found it interesting that, he, that they say, we, where is this king? We saw his star. We don't know a lot about these guys, and there's, most people assume that they were into astrology and stuff like that, and but they also had to be familiar with the prophecies about the star and about the, a king of the Jewish people being born and a star in the east indicating that. It's just cool to me that they just like, you know, we saw his star. Not we saw this random star and we just kind of followed it because we're like, that doesn't belong there. Let's go see what it's about. And so we saw his star. And so they came to Jerusalem and they were, they were prepared they were going to find the king of the Jewish people. And so in uh, verse 3, when Herod, heard, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them uh, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. All right, and here's where, where those guys were familiar with. Um, and you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler... Who, shall, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Which is not true. Uh, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Which is cool because... I mean, the star, like, it, like, moved, according to this text. Like, they, I guess, like, in my mind, it was, like, a fixed 
thing that they just kind of like went toward. But this says that it like arose and it like they followed it, and I kind of think it like floated, which adds uh, it's cool to me. Whatever. Uh, verse nine. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, look at verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. It's no random coincidence that they saw him and they worshipped, and then they gave him gifts. We won't harp on that detail for tonight, but that is not a random, like, oh, you know, as significant that that was the order. They saw him, they fell down and worshipped him, and then they started giving him gifts. Now, the giving of gifts, these were gifts that were appropriate when you would go and meet a king. These, they didn't, weren't like, you know, digging around the house trying to find something to re-gift at the last minute. Like these were intentional things that when a king is born, out of respect, you go and you show up and this is what you bring. Okay, so what in the world does that have to do with um, where to buy a gift card for, you know, dad? What does that have to do with gift giving in 2009? Um, when, when you give a gift on another occasion, all right, on a birthday or a Valentine's Day or an anniversary or something like that, um, you, you kind of take two things into account um, besides your budget and all that kind of stuff. Um, what is the occasion and who am I giving this to? Like, what is my relationship to this person? Um, so if it is Valentine's Day it's, and a guy is giving something to a girl, it's probably going to involve something red, like a rose or a box of chocolate or whatever the kids are given these days as a Valentine's Day presents. It's probably going to have some sort of romantic theme to it, right? And then be appropriate for the person you're giving it to. So if the person you're giving it to is allergic to caramel, you do not give them chocolate-covered caramels, right? It's appropriate to that person. Um, if you've been dating for like two weeks, if you start dating first week of February, you're dumb as a guy, okay? But let's say that you do and... You're still excited about it. Not that you're dumb. You're dumb because you don't... What do you get somebody after that amount of time? It's, you have to start consulting you know, greater wisdom and asking all kinds of people. And, and it becomes a community gift at some point. Um, but if you do that, you have to think, okay, I've been dating this person for two weeks. Like, what is appropriate given where we are in this relationship? Uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um, for an anniversary, uh, you know, there are appropriate gifts. For a birthday... You consider, okay, it's, it's somebody's birthday, but you think about what do they want? What do they like? What do they like to do? What do they need? All that kind of stuff. Um, last week for Pastor Appreciation, um, you guys just graciously uh, got gifts for Megan and for me, and they, are, they, were, they were not this, like, shot in the dark, okay? It wasn't, a, I don't, we don't know what to get them, so, you know, here's cash. Um, it was, like, it was appropriate for uh, the needs that we have or the things that we're into or whatever, and thank you, thank you, thank you for last week. Uh, it was, I have friends who, who, are, who pastor churches, and you would think that they work in a dungeon or something. Like, it, they just almost hate it, you know? And I just, I'm just clueless as to what that's like to pastor a church that makes you miserable. So um, 
It's and it's not just because I got an awesome shotgun. It is it is year round, year round. Uh, I feel that way all the time. So thank you for that. Um, Christmas gifts should be different, and a lot of times they are not. And this is why Christmas gifts should be different. Um, yes, you consider the occasion. Yes, you consider the person that you're giving them to. But for Christians, Christmas brings in an, an, a, an additional element that other gift-giving occasions don't have. Um, Christmas is basically a, it is a tribute holiday. It is in honor of Jesus' birth. It is a time where everything should reflect the one we are celebrating. So you think about the person, and you think about the occasion that it's Christmas, and it's December, and this is when you start to think about stuff. But you also have to bring in this, this element of how does this gift look like Jesus? How does it honor Jesus? How does it reflect the things that he is about? And unfortunately, um, that's just not a, a natural part of the way most of us think. Maybe some of you do, and I... I applaud you because you were raised really, really well. But a lot of us, this is just not a part of what's brought into church life. It isn't something that's ever really considered. Um, If we are Christians, there should be a difference. Our entire process of selecting gifts should should be different. Because even in the gifts that we give, um, we have an opportunity to communicate, to demonstrate the gospel to those we're giving them to. So when we talk about establishing a new tradition and a new, a new way of thinking about Christmas, we need transformation in the way that we look at the gift part of it too. And from what I can tell, and this is not a judgment of our church, this is me saying, all right, God, I know, I know we need to talk about this on Sunday. Help me narrow it down. Um, he just kind of brought me to, to, two, to two points um, that I think are for us, and maybe they're both for everybody or one, you know, whatever. So just, just roll with it. Okay, look at, uh, turn to Matthew 25. First issue that, that I believe we need to talk about is, is that stewardship comes, in, comes into the discussion. And this is what I mean by stewardship. Um, to be a steward is, um, is to be entrusted with something that belongs to someone else. So back in, back in the Jesus days, um, if you had this landowner and he had all these servants and stuff, um, if he was to leave for an amount of time, he would put certain people in charge. And sometimes while he lived there, he would have different people in charge of certain things. They were, they were stewards of whatever he entrusted them to. So maybe one handled the money and one handled the other workers and one handled... Uh, the, the food and, you know, whatever. Um, and so they were entrusted with something, and they were to be responsible with whatever they're entrusted with. Talked about it last week, how elders are, um, have been entrusted with the local church. While Jesus is gone, he's entrusted the protection and care of the church to elders. Um, so when we talk about stewardship, there's, a, there's an assumption that we, um, we can't just, just make, okay, um, biblically, money is in, it's God's, and it is entrusted to us by God um, to meet our needs and to meet other people's needs. And 
so that God is glorified through all of those needs being met. That's what, that's what money is. Um, God looks at our lives, and he entrusts us with different amounts of money. Some have a lot, some have a little bit. It's not because, you know, you're awesome and somebody else is not awesome. It has nothing to do with that. God's just God, and he does what he wants to do. And regardless of how much you've been entrusted with, how much or how little, um, it is about having your needs met and meeting the needs of other people. And so sometimes we, we have periods of time where we have been entrusted with a little bit, but because other people have been entrusted with a lot, as they share it, our needs are also met because they, it's, we take care of each other. So you take a room full of Christians who have jobs and who are, or are looking for jobs and all this kind of stuff, we should be able to go through life and there just aren't people around us who are in need. And some of that means just manning up and saying, look, I'm not really sure I'm going to be able to, to pay these bills this month or, or, you know, put food on the table for my kids this month or whatever. And sometimes we have to vocalize those things and we step in and meet those needs. And that's a, a big part of, of what happens with the offering that we take here back in the corner every week. There's an entrustment that happens. Is that God is, has, It's God's money. He's entrusted it to all of us. We take a portion of that. We put it all in the bucket back there. And then the elders have all the, the little bits of money everybody puts in. And then we look for needs that are out there, and we do the best we can to meet them. And sometimes it's need in Mexico, and sometimes it's a need for somebody we have no idea who they are. And sometimes it's people who are sitting in this room. It doesn't really matter um, because it's just not about that. So gift-giving and stewardship go hand-in-hand. Because um, Jesus turned everything upside down when it came to pretty much any topic, you name it. He came in and just trumped everything. And money was a big one for him. And so we're talking about gift giving. We cannot uh, remove being good stewards, being responsible with what he's entrusted with. We cannot remove that from the discussion. Because when we remove that from the discussion, that's when we pile up credit card debt, and we make really stupid purchases, and um, we get competitive with our siblings about who's going to buy mom and dad the best present, and we try to one-up each other from last time, or we keep score, and there's all this stupid stuff that goes on when we remove the fact that that money is God's, and he has entrusted us to be responsible with it. So, look at Matthew 25. You may be familiar with this passage. Look at verse 31. Let me say this. If we want to if we want our gift giving to honor and reflect the one that we are celebrating um, and to be consistent with his character, then the best way we can do it is to look at what he actually said to figure out if our spending is in line with that. Verse 31 in chapter 25. So when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was stranger. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. The righteous will answer him and him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. 
And then you keep reading, and he goes to the other side and says, you didn't feed me, you didn't clothe me, you didn't give me something to eat, you didn't come see me when I was sick or in prison, and then he kicks them out or whatever. And he says the same thing. When you don't do that, it's just like not doing it to me, and when you do that, it's just like doing that to me. Lots of lessons we could pull from this story. When it comes to stewardship, look at literally what he's saying. The stuff that you and I have is for ministry. Ministry to him through ministering to others. The possessions that you have, this is a life lesson, not just an Advent lesson, it's a life lesson. Everything you have is about ministry. Because, you know, it says, you know, I didn't have any clothes and you gave me clothes. Well, guess what? It, you were entrusted with money where you bought clothes and then you saw someone who needed it and you being a good steward of the money, first of all, and the, the objects, the clothing, second of all, you met that need. It means it's not about money. It's not about possessions. It's about taking care of your Savior, ministering to your Savior, blessing your Savior through taking care of and blessing other people. That is, that is stewardship for us. And when you bring that into Christmas time, it really changes a lot of, a lot of things for us. And that's what Jesus says. Jesus says, look, um, it's not about stuff because all the stuff you have is just about giving it away. And unfortunately, we live in a very gluttonous society. And I'm not talking about like Job of the Hut gluttony. I'm talking about like too much stuff. Too many things hanging in our closets. Too many pairs of shoes. Too much, you know, high-tech, whatever. And as soon as it comes out, we've got to have it. Too much of that. It's gluttony in that sense. That is, not, that is not Jesus. So, why would we contribute to that when we give gifts at Christmas time? Because that is... That's that two-dimensional giving, singing about the person, thinking about the occasion, but it's leaving out the fact that this is supposed to be a reflection of the Savior that we're celebrating. So if we really want to celebrate this Savior, when, we, when it comes to giving, we bring this stewardship angle into it. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable because, we, let's admit it, we like stuff. We like getting stuff. We could say all day long, I just like to give gifts so much better than I like to receive them. And you lie when you say that. But that has to be a part of the conversation. And in honor of our, in honor of our king, if the wise men came, they brought gifts in honor of the king. Then in honor of our king and our Lord and our Savior being born, the gifts that we bring, we should demonstrate good stewardship of the resources we've been entrusted with and also the message that Jesus was trying to convey by demonstrating that. So we set up these opportunities to go to these shelters and different places to serve. Because, not because we need good community service things on the counter to make us feel better. We do that because that's what, that's what Christmas is about. Because that's what Jesus was about. And how can you meet the needs of people that are out there? And so that's why, uh, 
like we we should have no issue with being asked to look at our budgets and consider how we can give less to the economy and more into things like clean water. We should have no problem with that. Saying, let's contribute less to the gluttony of our society and more to keeping kids alive. It's not a guilt trip because when, you, when we look at Advent, we look at Christmas through a real lens about is this reflecting who Jesus is, it's just, it's about getting consistent again. It's about refusing to, to allow us to remove that element of stewardship and um, Jesus' heart uh, from like, what we do. And it's about even find it, let it, letting it find its right place, even down to the logistical stuff about giving presents. So stewardship was the first issue. Um, look at, turn back to Matthew 6. This will be the last text that we look at. So our stuff is about ministry. Our possessions are about ministry. Now, I'm not at all saying that kids should not get toys. All right? If you pray and you feel like you need to go to an extreme on things, then that's fine. Um, It's not about removing the fun out of Christmas. Because I think it's, I'm all about Christmas being fun. I'm a pretty jolly guy. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that uh, if we're going to establish a biblical tradition, then let's be holistic about it and not pick and choose things. Um, So spend less as part of Advent Conspiracy. Um, If you really, uh, if you want to look at a guideline for biblical giving, um, think about this. Look at Matthew 6. few things that Jesus actually said about money and possessions and whatever. Look at verse 2. Well, look at verse 1 in chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, uh, notice he doesn't say if you give to the needy, he says when. Just a little... When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, again, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. A little side note, maybe we could serve this Advent season and not put everything, how awesome we are on Twitter and Facebook. See, I was one sentence tangent. Maybe there's something to be said for um, taking care of people and not boasting about it. And we might not think that Twitter is a place to boast, but uh, it is. Um, it can be. Look at, um, so he assumes that we're going to give, all right? So that should be a part of Christmas. Financially, things going to those who are in need. If we're going to do it, like really reflect uh, who Jesus is. Look at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Hmm. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, our gift giving, we need to be careful about about where the where we're investing as we give because here's Jesus standing um, what, what I think was at the bottom of this hill and this whole hill is just covered with people and he's teaching them and he's trying to let them know um, this stuff doesn't matter it's not important don't invest your lives in stuff that you are going to leave behind or that someone's going to steal or that hurricane will come in and flood, or whatever. Like, that is not what is important. If Jesus is conveying this to this group of people, and he made sure it got to us in 2009, it should be a part of what we are saying and communicating and teaching as we give a gift. So parents, you can teach your kids a lot by the things that you give them. And maybe that looks like instead of like 100% useless stuff, maybe it's only like half useless stuff. And the other half are some things that have some real meaning to them. Maybe, maybe, you, um, maybe your dad uh, is like most dads, and he could just go to Home Depot for like 12 hours and just walk around and look at stuff. So maybe you go to the Home Depot in Denham Springs. Where Trent works, and uh, I'm gonna keep talking while I turn the air conditioners back on. Meg's not here, and she—they're on a four-hour cycle, and once you start them, you can't stop. So let's say that that maybe you go to Home Depot and you—you're um, like, you know what? I've, I kind of prayed about this and thought about my dad, and I think I just need to get him a gift card to Home Depot. Well, there's a difference between giving him a gift card to Home Depot and maybe explaining why you got him a gift card from Home Depot. Because if you, if you give your dad a gift card and it comes in a little cardboard thing that they provide and that's it, that's one thing. Um, but maybe you provide some explanation to your dad. Come on. I'm sorry. It's, gonna, it, it's just going to turn into an oven in no time. Um, maybe you provide some explanation to your dad. I feel like Donahue. Remember him? <laughs> Um, somebody text Meg and find out how to do this I'm, I'm just kidding so maybe you, do, maybe you get your dad a gift card and you explain to him um, you say dad you've, uh, you've always made sure that, that our house uh, stayed standing and that we had the things that we need and and maybe I've never told you thank you for that. But I always felt safe. And I always knew if, if I needed something, I could come to you. And if you didn't know how to do it, you would act like you did. And, but then you'd find out secretly, and that was okay. And I, I got you this gift card because I know that providing for this family and taking care of this family is important to you. And I appreciate that about you. And that's why I got you this gift card. Maybe... Do you realize that that is also storing up a treasure in heaven? And get somebody something and say, all right, now I want you to understand why I got this for you. And maybe you write them a card, maybe you write them a letter, 
whatever. Bring those elements into your gift giving. When you do, you echo the Sermon on the Mount into the lives of your friends and your family. You really, I mean, think about that. Most of my life, I thought that the, like communicating the gospel meant you sit somebody down, you walk them through a track that folds out into a cross, or you take them through the four spiritual laws of the Romans Road or something like that. Never in my life um, would I have thought up until I was probably 20 years old that giving my dad a Home Depot gift card and explaining to him and speaking truth and affirmation and love into his life, that that would also be communicating an element of the gospel, that that would be echoing the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount that Jesus said so long ago that I'm called to step in and communicate to people that I can do it in a way like that. I never would have thought that until a couple years ago. That is biblical gift giving. And you have to figure out, you have to look at the words of Christ and say, how, how can I give in a way that is, is echoing this, that considers the person and considers the occasion, but also considers, does this look like Jesus? It takes thought. It takes time. It takes prayer. Um, you keep looking. Uh, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Maybe by not giving somebody... There, all right, there's about to be too many negatives in the sentence. Maybe, maybe somebody has too much stuff already. And so maybe not giving them something helps echo that right there. If someone has an issue, okay, with, um, with, let's say, like, excessive amounts of clothing in their closet, don't give them more clothing. Because you are countering what Jesus said right there in those verses. You're feeding the lie that life is about possessions and status and how you look and how you dress and all that kind of stuff. Don't feed it. Maybe you could say this. Maybe you could say, look, I know that... Um, that clothing is really important to you. So I, um, I bought a sewing kit through World Vision for a mom in, uh, in southern Africa so that she can make clothes for her kid because I know that clothes are important to you. Yeah. I'll trick them. That's biblical gift giving because it reflects the heart and the character and the mission and the gospel. I mean, it, it does all, everything about Jesus. We, we have to bring that into the way that we think about gifts. And you will not do that if you're not prayerfully considering what to give people. Last year, some people walked away with what I was saying, and this is not necessarily anybody's fault other than mine, that maybe I just didn't say it very well, but some people thought that Advent Conspiracy was anti-gifts. It's not anti-gifts. It's spend less, give more, give deeply, give with meaning. Give in a way that says, my Savior was born, and I want you to know what he was all about through the gift that I give. It's amazing to think that we can be a part of the gospel being spread all across the planet by giving Christmas presents. And giving normal Christmas presents. Like, you don't have to go to an extreme. You can give normal stuff. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this first and felt led to talk about it first is because 
Black Friday makes me want to throw up. It really does. And now's the time when you start planning and thinking things, and then I just believe that God wants us to have this in mind on the front end. And so here's the bottom line for us. Our gifts should reflect the heart of our Savior. He's all about taking care of those who need, those who don't have. He says, I come to, to give good news to the poor, and that word poor means those um, in desperate need of God's grace. So our celebration of Advent could literally um, bring that grace into people's lives. If we'll just simply refuse to give in to the gluttony of our culture, the simplest of things can go so far. It can have so much, um, it can reflect the kingdom so much to so many people. I just think, I just think it's insane uh, how, um, how much glory could come to Christ through this. We take this seriously. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to pray, then we're going to stand up, and we're going to sing a song or two to kind of maybe seal all this together. And I, I really I believe that we need to leave tonight asking God, and, and hear me out, asking God to give each of us a vision for what our gift giving this Christmas can look like. Ask him to show us how can we echo the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 25 and the heart of Jesus Christ in our gift giving so that people will almost, people could get saved through our gift giving. That would be awesome. Let's ask him for that. Alright, let's pray. Father, um, I'm just amazed that uh, that you can you can take anything and glorify yourself through it. Um, and in a world where the culture has, uh, has taken Christmas and it's become something it's not supposed to be, I thank you, God, that you are um, you're bringing about change. You're establishing a new perspective. Um, God, as we close out tonight, I pray that you will give us, um, that you will give us a vision or how, uh, how this impacts our next couple of weeks. God, that you'll give us a vision for our gift giving. That you'll get us excited about it. That it, it will not be a burden because of the perspective that we have. Um, that's not a perspective we can change on our own. We need you to give it to us. And so God, I pray that the scriptures and the teaching and the songs and everything will come together. And um, God, that you will just yeah, that you will, will spark some things in us tonight. We love you. Um, pray that you're honored as we sing. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all stand up?